weather's getting warmer. Spring is finally here. But unfortunately for Major League Soccer, the winter that is their existence in CONCACAF Champions League continues on. This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Scalarsep, and it is April, folks. It's April. Uh, we're getting that much closer to the summer. Finally, the snow is melted here on the East Coast, and, and it's starting to feel like spring and 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 everything that comes with that, being outside, getting some sun, and getting some fresh air. We don't have to be bunkered in anymore in this, this winter that didn't seem to want to end. But there's so much to talk about as we roll into the new month, into into April. Uh, a lot of action that went on last week that we have to touch, touch on. And obviously this weekend is a big weekend, uh, whether it's MLS, whether it's Americans Abroad, you name it. There's so much to get into. Uh, we'll talk about MLS Week 6. We'll look back at Week 5. We'll get into the U.S. national team. We'll talk Americans abroad and our guests, our special guest from Club Tijuana, Joe Corona. And, you know, figures that MLS loses to Mexico again and we'll bring a player that's based in Mexico on to talk about life in Liga Mekis and uh, everything that comes with that. We'll talk to Joe Corona about the national team, uh, among other things. And uh, And there's so much to get into. But first, we have to obviously start with MLS. CONCACAF Champions League, their quest to end Mexico's domination. Uh, it, is, it isn't over yet, folks. It isn't over. MLS has been, has been eliminated. FC Dallas, Vancouver Whitecaps gone in the semifinals. And I know people aren't interested in moral victories. People aren't interested in hearing about the progress MLS is making. Um, you have, obviously, folks down in Mexico ha- having fun with it. They're definitely enjoying the domination, uh, but what I can tell you is that, you know what, the, the gap is closing, and I know there, there's, I feel like I've said this before, I definitely have said this before, but I feel like this year, uh, more than any year uh, in, in that I can remember, you really saw some teams that really stood toe-to-toe uh, with Mexican teams. I mean, look, Vancouver is not one of the best teams in MLS. And you know what? They gave they gave Tigres a go, and and I know Tigres is Tigres isn't having the best season uh, right now in 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 the in the current Mexican season, but no one can deny that Tigres is one of the most stacked teams in Mexico. And then you have FC Dallas, who obviously uh, pushed Pachuca to the brink, and Pachuca needed some brilliance from Herving Lozano to pull that one out. But hey, guess what, folks? Herving Lozano is on that team, so that's uh, you know that comes with it. FC Dallas, if anything, they're gonna they're gonna regret the mistakes that they made, the chances that they missed, because they they had it was there for the taking. It was there for, for FC Dallas to win that one. And you know what happens every time these tournaments uh, end for MLS? Uh, the soul-searching begins, the questions, the, the blaming, the finger-pointing, what's wrong, why can't MLS beat the Mexican teams? And, you know, the, the usual excuses come out. Um, obviously, the schedule is an issue. No, I don't think anyone can deny that, although... At this point, as you get to the semifinal round, you know, these teams have games under their belt. I mean, FC Dallas has three games under their belt. They had three games under their belt in MLS play. Uh, you know, they they were fine. It wasn't about it wasn't about that. It wasn't about um them not having played. It was just a, a matter of them not capitalizing on on the opportunities that they created. Now, this FC Dallas team was a very good team. And uh the reason I say that I see the gap closing now is because MLS teams now have the mechanisms and the financial uh, tools to build a deeper team than we've ever seen in MLS. 
And I think you saw that with FC Dallas. But again, it still matters. Smart spending matters. Uh, smart um, development, player development matters. All these things matter to maximize all the tools at your disposal if you're an MLS team. I feel like for so long you had uh, you had the same thing over and over where, where people would try out the salary issue and say, oh, look, MLS teams don't spend anywhere near what Liga MX teams spend. Uh, that gap is absolutely closing. Uh, you know, MLS teams can spend money now, more money now they, with the target allocation money. They still are not spending on the same level as as uh, Liga MX teams uh, top to bottom, but I, I really don't think that's the issue at this point. I mean, obviously money helps, but you just have to be smart about it. And I think FC Dallas has built themselves a great team. And, you know, on another day, maybe they do win that game. But I got to say, that's the first time that I can remember since really since Real Salt Lake in 2011, when Real Salt Lake reached the final, where I saw an MLS team play a good, a very good uh, Mexican team in the knockout rounds and really go at them and really play them on on an even playing field. This wasn't a case of a team bunkering in, trying to counter. No offense to any teams that did that before. You do what you, you, do what you have to do to survive, right? But this FC Dallas team had the weapons to stand toe to toe with Pachuca, and they gave him they gave him all they had, and it came down, you know, it came down to some brilliance from Lozano. Um, but you know, some people look at that and say, "Hey, it's a moral victory. No one cares about moral victories. When is MLS going to lift that trophy?" Uh, and it's coming, it's coming, folks, it's coming. And I, I did, th- I did find it funny that there was, I guess, a, a, an official from Chivas Guadalajara who made the point that you know, ten years ago, people were saying, "Oh, MLS is going to surpass the Gamekis," and he's still waiting. Uh, it was probably ambitious to expect MLS to surpass Liga Mekis right off the bat. I mean, it, it was always going to take time. But I feel like now in recent years, you've really seen MLS take steps to give their teams the tools to to really try to close that gap. And I think you're seeing that now with the targeted allocation money and teams being smart about that. It still comes down to something that I, you know, I, I didn't see people discuss, but I, I think it's something that needs to be discussed is, a big problem MLS has right now, and MLS teams have right now, is continuity and building continuity and building a tradition of success. You have too many times, too many teams, where they'll have a great season and then they'll they'll they'll, they'll fall back to earth. You have this kind of yo-yo thing, and there's far too few teams that really keep things at a high peak for a long time. And obviously, the LA Galaxy were a team that kept things at a high peak for a long time. Uh, in more recent years, the New York Red Bulls have done pretty well, although they decided to shake things up this winter, trading away Dax McCarty. I'm still convinced that you know if they don't make that trade, things go differently for them. And I think they're I think they're a team that gets to the semifinals. Now, do the Red Bulls beat Tigres in the semifinals? If it's the Red Bulls instead of Vancouver, we will never know. But you know, I think that was an unfortunate situation in terms of MLS trying to get its best teams. Because look, the Red Bulls. The twenty, the Red Bulls of last season, the Red Bulls that they could have had this season with Dax McCarty in in midfield, heading into the quarterfinals of the Champions League, would have had a better chance for my money than Vancouver. But hey, you know what? You play with who you have. They uh, Red Bulls traded away uh, Dax McCarty and the Van- and Vancouver put themselves put together a pretty a pretty good team to to knock off the Red Bulls. But the the Whitecaps didn't have. They were not, they just weren't going to beat Tigres. It just wasn't going to happen. You know, having said that, I still say the gap's closing. You know why? Because think about it, folks. When you go, you only have to go back a couple of years to when MLS teams were getting destroyed in the knockout rounds, getting crushed 
in these second legs, you know, five, six goals. And, you know, a lot of times Hercules Gomez was involved for the the opposing team in Mexico. Um, but that, you know what, you, you see that less and less now. You see a, a more competitive playing field, more competitive competition. And it's also good to see Mexican teams take it more seriously because they absolutely are. They absolutely take this, this competition seriously. They want to go to the Club World Cup. It matters to them. And, uh, and now it's up to MLS teams. It's up to the teams that aspire to be great on a consistent basis. I mean, Atlanta United is a prime example with what they are doing. They're a team that, you know what, it, you know, if they find a way to get in into the Champions League sooner than later, they're going to be interesting to watch because they have a manager who can, who can compete on that level. They have talent that can compete on that level. Um, you have teams like Seattle. Uh, with the talent that they have. Obviously, Toronto FC goes through the Canadian Championship, so that's a little bit different. But still, TFC, they have the talent to make things happen in this competition. Uh, obviously, there's a shakeup. Something that, should, that we definitely should note is that there, there obviously has been a shakeup in terms of the format of the competition. And now you are going to see MLS teams, Liga Mekis teams, begin their participation in, the, in a knockout round that's going to begin at the start of 2018. So there actually aren't going to be group stages in the, in the fall of this year. So, you know, you're going to have to wait a while for some CONCACAF Champions League if you're an MLS fan. But hopefully by then, you know, you have uh, a better representation of the teams who are actually the best MLS teams or closer to the best MLS teams at the time that they enter the competition. And look, I'm not taking anything away from Liga Mekis. I give a lot of credit to what they're doing. And they're improving as well. And I think it definitely needs to be noted that the the improvements of that MLS has, ha- has had and have made is definitely pushing Liga Mekis. and and I think Liga Mekis is is benefiting from that. Uh, you're seeing them sign more more international players now. Their, their rosters are, are more diverse, and and their and their teams are a little bit more dynamic. So you know from that standpoint, the you know the bar has not stayed still for MLS. The bar is raised along with MLS's continued growth. So it's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen overnight. Am I going to sit here and say next year's the year? Uh, you know what? Let's see how this new format plays out. The whole knockout round only thing is going to is going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But you know what? I think I personally believe the gap's closing. I personally look at what some of these teams are doing and how much better some of these MLS teams are. And I say these teams, and we're talking about the best teams in MLS. We're not talking about the teams that are you know, bottom of the barrel teams in MLS, but the teams who are the, among the very best consistently, FC Dallas, you look at Seattle, I mean, LA is in a state of transition. I don't know if I count LA right now. You know, Toronto FC, obviously they come out of Canada, but still, they're, they're an MLS team. I think these teams are going to, you know what? These teams are going to make things interesting in the next couple of years. So don't give up hope, MLS fans. Don't give up hope. Because that reign, that Liga Mekis reign is going to come to an end. It's just a matter of, of who's going to be that team to break through and, uh, and how much longer we're going to wait. And I don't think we're going to have to wait that much longer. And you know what? You can call me optimistic. You can call me unrealistic. I know what I see, folks. And I see MLS teams being closer now. And these games and these matchups and the knockout rounds being closer and being more more evenly played. This isn't, you know, and look, I don't want to knock on Montreal because with the run that they made when they got to the final, they did a good job. But look, Montreal countered. They did the whole defendant counter. They 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 did not stand toe-to-toe with the teams that they beat to get to the final. They did what they had to do. They did it really well, but they didn't match, you know, strength against strength. They did what they did. Um, 
which is why for me, what Real Salt Lake did in 2011, you want to talk about a pioneering moment. You want to talk about a team that was ahead of its time in MLS play. Um, that 2011 RSL team, I mean, that team was something special. And that's why they made that run. They play, They stood toe-to-toe. They played soccer. They did not just bunker. They went at teams. And it was fun to watch. And, and you know, anyone who remembers that RSL team, at that time you're thinking, well, hey, RSL's doing it right now. The gap's closed already. The gap wasn't closed, though. The gap wasn't closed. RSL was an anomaly. That team that Garth Lagerway and Jason Christ put together was an anomaly. It was a great team. It probably should have won more trophies than it did. But it was a special, special team. And we've had to wait now five, six years now. And we're still kind of waiting for that to happen again. Uh, but I think we're closer now. I think we're closer now. So believe it or not, that's my take on it. That's what I think. Uh, but once again, an all-Mexico final, which is disappointing. 12th straight year, we're going to have a Mexican champion in CONCACAF Champions League. If there is a silver lining, it's the fact that Omar Gonzalez is a starter on Pachuca. And if Pachuca beats Tigres, then you have Omar Gonzalez heading to the Club World Cup, which, hey, wouldn't be a bad thing, right, to have an American, a U.S. national team player uh, playing in the Club Club World Cup. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. Obviously, you've had, uh, I believe, Jose Torres, Hercules Gomez, but Omar Gonzalez is, like, you know, obviously a longtime fixture uh, in the national team and obviously with all the success that he had in, in, in MLS with the Galaxy. Guy's a winner, folks. How about some props for Omar Gonzalez? He, w- he wins multiple MLS Cups with the Galaxy. He goes down to Mexico, wins a title with Pachuca. Now he's in the CONCACAF Champions League final. You won a title at Maryland. You won a, t- a title in college, NCAA title. Guy's got a pretty nice trophy case. So, And he's, you know what? He's he's put himself back into the conversation to start for the U.S. national team. So hats off to you, Omar Gonzalez. We're going to have to get him on here one of these days, get him on the show. Um, now that we, we, you know, we, we're breaking in here now. We're getting our Liga Mekis based uh, Mexican-Americans to come. We had Joe Corona on the show on this show. We'll get Omar Gonzalez down the road one of these days. Enough about CONCACAF Champions League. We will move on now to MLS news in general. First, we have St. Louis. Their stadium funding bill did not pass. And it, 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 was, a, it was a crushing blow, right? Because so many people want MLS in St. Louis. They want St. Louis in MLS. With all the history of that city, the, the, the soccer history in St. Louis is, is, is you know, amazing and and you you look at that and you say you know what how are they not in mls how is st louis not have an mls team but well guess what folks it doesn't look like they're gonna get one because you know what the people in st louis they spoke they have spoken they spoke they spoke with their votes and they voted against public funding uh for a stadium project that would have pretty much locked up an mls team for st louis uh, and that's that's devastating. And I know some people say, hey, you know, why does why does MLS need public funding? Why does this team need public funding? And it's pretty simple, folks. Business is business, right? If if leagues and teams can get funding, public funding, they're gonna go get they're gonna go look for public funding. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. They're gonna go to the markets that are willing to pay that money. And you can you can debate the merits and debate you know, the, the, the reasoning behind it, or you can debate the, why should cities do it. But guess what, folks? If your city isn't going to do it, another city will do it. And if you really want a team, then that's the that's the price you pay. And, you know, I, I know there's still some rumblings, oh, maybe St. Louis can still get a team. I don't see it happening. And you know why? If you're MLS, you cannot afford to have a city that just voted no on public funding. You can't afford that team to now get a team because guess what? That sends a message across the country uh, that, you know, 
you don't have to vote for you don't have to vote for pub, uh, public funding. You don't have to give public funding, and you don't want that to become the norm. If you're Don Garber, that's like your nightmare scenario, where where all of a sudden all the cities around the around the country you say, you know what, we're not spending a dime of public money. You build your own damn stadium, and that's the last thing MLS wants. Uh, you know, obviously, some idealists would say, hey, in an ideal world, these rich guys would spend their own money, build their own stadiums. And not have to rely on public fund funds, public money, but that's just not the reality of things. That's just not how the world works. You know what? Rich people are rich for a reason, and they're not. And these investors are not just going to put up all the risk, put up all the money to just bring a team to uh, to to a, to a city. Uh, and that's just not reality. So now St. Louis is out, and it's it's sad. It's a sad state of affairs because St. Louis should buy, should absolutely have a team. But guess what? They didn't get enough support in, in the vote. Uh, will that change in the future? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be able to because you have so many teams in line, you know, so many, what is it, 12 teams in line trying to trying to fight for four spots and now you're St. Louis and you've fallen out of line. It's not going to be easy to get back in line. So uh, it's unfortunate for the people of St. Louis, unfortunate for the natives of St. Louis, like Mr. Taylor Twelman and everyone who's come out of there. Unfortunate, although it's good news for other teams that are trying to, trying to land, other cities trying to land expansion teams. Um, because your odds just got a lot better now that one of the favorites looks to be out of the conversation. Next up, another MLS news. Luis Gill is returning to MLS, reuniting with Jason Christ. He's joining Orlando City on loan from Querétaro. Uh, and the former Real Salt Lake slash former U.S. Under-23 national team midfielder obviously didn't have the best of times in Mexico. He hasn't had the best of times. He's really struggled for playing time. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts now. Uh, reuniting with Jason Christ, someone who he did who he did have success under, and just for Orlando, if you're an Orlando City fan and you're listening and you're kind of you're wondering what to make of this move, what do we expect from Gill? Gill's talented, right? Gill's a talented midfielder, but he is not a number ten. He is not a pure playmaker. He's more of a kind of a box to box. When he was really really young, when he was first coming in as a young prospect, there was this, there were these thoughts that oh maybe he is a number ten. He's not really a number ten. He's a number eight with some good attacking qualities to him. Um, is he going to make up for the loss of Kevin Molino, which is what really you need to do. You need to make up for the loss of Kevin Molino. I don't know if he's that guy, but I think he does help. I think he does give you something to to that attack, gives you more options in the midfield, which you need. You need a little bit more of an attacking spark in the midfield. Uh, Giles Barnes, I think, has been a nice addition. I think he's he's been a good swap for Brechet. I don't think I don't think Matias Perez-Garcia is the answer necessarily, so... Maybe Luis Gil can help in that regard, but I don't think he is the answer, the final answer to the question: How do you replace Kevin Molino's attacking quality? I don't think that's the I don't think that's the final answer. So we'll see. We'll see what Orlando City does in the summer. I think that's when you're really going to see them make a power move um, to really boost that attack. But guess what? Uh, Kaká has been out for a while. He's been out for for a month now, and he should be back pretty soon. So. You know what? When Kaká gets back, that's definitely going to be a big help for that Orlando City attack. We have to get back and talk about MLS Week 5. I know it's been a while. We're already almost on Week 6, and if you're listening to this right now, uh, MLS Week 6 is, is is right around the corner, so you're probably like, why are we? Why do we even need to look back on Week 5, especially if your team lost? If your team lost, I don't blame you for not wanting to discuss last week, but we have to do a little our usual speed round episode of ML of recapping the previous week and we'll start right now the Friday night games the games that I thought were going to be the best games of the week 
We ended up with two zero zero score lines. My apologies, folks. If you planned your entire week around watching those games and thinking you were going to see some amazing soccer and you saw zero goals in 180 minutes, my apologies, because you know what? I didn't think that. I, I don't know who saw that coming. Um, but if you're Atlanta, you're happy. And you know what? If you're uh, Sporting Kansas City, you're happy to come away with, with some big road points, some big points on the road, some shutouts on the road. Um, you know, shutting out Seattle in Seattle is no easy feat. Shutting out TFC is no easy feat either, even with a Josie Altador on the bench um, as he was kind of recovering from international duty. Uh, you know, so the big points for those teams. And then you had NYCFC beating San Jose. I was at that one. It was a bit of a snoozer. Um, you obviously had uh, NYC with the, with the defensive slash goalkeeping blunder early on. NYC recovered. Tommy McNamara with the with the winner coming off the bench. And I know there were rumblings after the match about Tommy Mack. And should he be starting? Should he not be starting? Is it time to give Andrea Pirlo the boot? Is it time to put Andrea Pirlo on the bench and kind of put him out the pasture? He's past his best. I don't know about that. You know, I mean, they're, they're not the same player, for one, other than them having long hair. Andrea Pirlo does a, serves a purpose, right? He Andrea Pirlo combined, he connects the defense to the attack. He sets the tone in midfield. He keeps possession. He passes well. He's, he circulates the ball well. Tommy Mack is a dynamic player. He's a guy you bring off the bench. You need that boost. You need a boost to your attack, and he can give you that. And so, from that standpoint, you can't just swap Tommy Mack for Pirlo. It's not that simple because Tommy Mack can't do what Pirlo does. He can't. He can't play the role that Pirlo plays. And Pirlo's role matters. Uh, is Pirlo playing at his best? No, absolutely not. Uh, did he did he you know make you cringe a few times with some of the things he did? Absolutely. I mean, his play on the goal that San Jose scored was embarrassing, right? I mean, he you know he, he his you know he lost, terrible pass back to Sean Johnson, put Sean Johnson in a really bad spot, leads to a turnover, and then he doesn't bother the pressure defensively uh, when when they when the earthquakes got the ball. That was an ugly scene, and hopefully Pirlo learns from that. But Pirlo is still Pirlo. Pirlo still has something to offer. Uh, so I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think he's going in that lineup. If you're Tommy McNamara and you're going to play, you're going to play by knocking out either uh, Jack Harrison, Maxi Morales, or Rodney Wallace. And right now, who, which one of those guys are you going to take out? I don't think you're taking any of those guys out. So Tommy Mack's going to stay a super sub for now. I think that's pretty much going to happen, except for when in instances when Andrea Pirlo can't go. And Andrea Pirlo is 105 years old. He's not playing every game. Okay, no, he's not really 105 years old, but he's not playing every game. He's going to miss some games. Um, just with the with the grind, the grind of an MLS season. He's going to miss games, and Tommy Mack will have his opportunity. Obviously, you'll have to shake, change things up in the system uh, if you're Patrick Vieira and you replace Pirlo with Tommy McNamara, Tommy McNamara. But I think McNamara will get his opportunities. I don't think this is, I don't think this is a Poku situation where NYCFC is going to you know bury him on the bench and eventually unload him. I think Tommy Mack still has an important part to play on this NYCFC team next up chicago fire montreal impact bastian Schweinsteiger with an impressive 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 debut uh goes the full 90 shows the the full range of his qualities and for the people who really sat there and said you know what this guy why why are they bothering this guy's washed up this guy's no good listen he is not he is not what he was in the peak of his career no one can dispute that but he still has a lot to offer he still has tons of quality to offer. He can make the team better. He can make his teammates better. He's a good locker room presence by all accounts. So he ticks a lot of boxes. And you saw in the first game, 
a lot of the things people were hoping to see. So, so far, so good. Uh, great to see that. And and how about uh, the, the Solonac, Solonac equalizer in stoppage time? And how about Dax McCarty? I had to give Dax McCarty some props because they looked like they were going to lose that game. Dax McCarty wins the ball in midfield, picks out Solonac, sends him the long ball, and boom, equalizer. Dax McCarty. All hard on that play, and I don't. And I don't feel. I feel like he he was definitely overshadowed by Schweinsteiger's debut. But that play and his play overall, uh, a little. Uh, you know what? A little under the radar. But I think Dax McCarty is going to benefit from Schweinsteiger's presence because just the things that the German does, man. I mean, he's so good at finding space and sliding into positions that that where he can threaten and and his ability to hold the ball and pass the ball in his video. He, I mean, he's just a very, very, very good player. And I just, and I, I feel like I said it in the, in the previous show that I just found it odd that people were sitting here trying to act like he's a pure defensive midfielder in, in, in the, that way that people here in the U S perceive defensive midfielder to be a dirty word or dirty words or, or, a, or, a you know, a, an uncultured position. Bastian Schweinsteiger's skill level is so high that he can be more than just a defensive midfielder, and I think everyone saw that in his debut. Next up, Columbus Crew, Orlando City, 2-0. The crew with the victory, Justin Merrim. Justin Merrim is like, you know what? Go trade for whoever you want to trade for. No one's taking my spot. And he came out after the Kakuta Mane trade and torched Orlando City, lit up Orlando City, uh, and uh, they they pitched a shutout. And credit to the crew defense, right? Uh, Jonathan Mensah is out. He was out. Hurt, injured. Uh, they bring in the rookie again, Alex Cronali, and and they pitch the shutout. And and Zach Steffen, you know, he didn't even have much to do. He had four saves, but they were four pretty simple saves. Uh, credit to the midfield there. Will Trap and Arthur really shut down the, the the passing channels and really limited the amount of service that Kyle Aaron was able to get. And it was a perfect formula. And you let Marum do the rest on the attacking side, and that was the right formula. The crew have won three in a row, and suddenly the crew are back. The Columbus crew, after a year, a really weird year where they just were terrible, they look like they're back. Obviously, they've made some changes to their squad. Uh, they got rid of Tony Chani. They have Artur now partnered with Will Trapp in the midfield. Uh, they've revamped their defense. That homegrown player, Alex Cronali, is looking like the real deal. Uh, the, uh, the Maryland product, you know, he's still right now the backup to Mensa, who is their designated player, but... Cronali has shown in his first couple of opportunities that he is, you know what, if you need him to step in, he's going to step in. Even though he's a rookie, he looks like the real deal. And for my money right now, he's one of the top three rookies in the league so far this year when you look at the top three rookies. And for me, Nick Lima, Julian Gressel, Alex Cronali, that's your top three right now. If you want to talk about sizing up the rookie of the year race, that's your top three. No offense to Ian Harks. I know he's getting playing time in D.C., but he's not really doing much. He's not really making an impact. These other guys are. Cronali has stepped up big. Julian Gressel obviously is starting and doing well. And we and you all know how I feel about my boy Nick Lima. Nick Lima has been excellent, best rookie in the league so far through the first month of the season. Next up, DC United, Philadelphia Union, and this was a bit of an ugly one. Bill Hamid had to put on the cape, the Superman cape for this one, and Philadelphia Union fans are nervous. Is our team this bad? Is our team doomed to, to a nightmare season? Is it time to fire Jim Curtin? Uh, I don't, I, you know what, personally, I think that's super premature. I get that people still have the bad taste of how last season finished. And now you combine that with what is a slow start from result from a result standpoint. I totally get why there's nervousness and why there is this sense of, of gloom and doom 
But you know what, folks? Look at the schedule. They've played all but one game on the road. The one game they played at home was against Toronto FC, stacked team. Uh, and I actually thought they started well results-wise, tying in, going all the way to Vancouver and getting a tie, uh, tying Toronto at home in a game they should, they could have easily won. Now, did they not look good against Orlando? No, they didn't look good. Did they look good against DC United at RFK? Heck no, especially the first half. The first half, you know what? Anyone who wants to rip on the Union, you can absolutely rip on the Union about the first half that they played against these United. It was amateur hour. It was atrocious. It was awful, horrendous. They definitely deserve all the blame in the world for that. Second half, better half. They were they were the better team. They were and like, DC United. They finally scored some goals. And I know you know people think I hate on them a little you know too much. They think I'm a hater. They think I you know whatever. I don't think they're a good team. And I know they finally won, and that helps. That helps maybe boost their confidence a bit. But they got a little lucky here, right? The handball, uh, the uh, the inexplicable Andre Blake pass to Fabinho that turned into uh, the other DC goal. Credit to DC, they took advantage of the opportunities when they came. They took advantage of Philly's mistakes, and they got a win. And it doesn't matter how you get that first win, but what matters is that you get it and you build from it. And maybe DC can build from it. And if and, and Bill Hamid, folks, if Bill Hamid is going to play like Bill Hamid played in this game, then he's the he can be that guy that helps carry them until they get things figured out. Because they do need to get things figured out. Because I just don't think their attack is good enough. I don't think, and it's not. Look, Luciano Acosta's there, but it's not just him. He's not just gonna. He is not just gonna wave a wand and all of a sudden you have a dynamic attack. I, and I know we saw it last year. I know we saw time at times last year. DC United's attack really looked good, but this is 2017, folks, and I haven't seen it yet. So we'll see. You know what if they can do it this week, but I didn't see it against the Union. Next, Minnesota United with their first win. In MLS, beat Riazzo Lake, beat him like a drum, 4-2. to two. Uh, Nick Romando is going to want to forget this one, obviously, with the big blunder. Christian Ramirez with two goals. And for me, Kevin Molino was the man of the match. He was outstanding. And even more impressive is the fact that he was coming off international duty and to go right into the lineup and do as well as he did. Adrian Heath, hats off to Adrian Heath. He gets that first win. And there's a little momentum building now with the Loons, right? They get the draw against Colorado. Now they get the win. Are they going to go to Dallas? We'll get into that later. Their next match is definitely not an easy one, so we'll, we'll touch on that later. But if you're a Minnesota fan, you got to feel pretty good now. Now, obviously, you're not going to start talking playoffs and all this and that, but at least there's a sign of life. Is there, at least there's a sign of a reason to go to these games. I mean, obviously, you're a Minnesota fan. You finally have a team. You're, you're going to go to the games regardless, but at least now there's a reason to believe that this Minnesota team is going to put up a fight and really going to, Try to and really going to be able to compete in some of these games and win some of these games. And you know, I don't think I, I don't remember I touched on the trade they made last year, uh, last week, but Sam Cronin and Mark Birch getting those two guys is big for them because I think Mark Birch all of a sudden big upgrade at left back. Sam Cronin for my money huge huge upgrade in defensive midfield, and I know it cost them. I know it cost Minnesota some money, some cat room. But Sam Cronin is a pro. He's a seasoned, solid defensive midfielder, the kind of guy that will help bolster the, the Minnesota center backs. And Minnesota, the central defense has been, been a huge Achilles heel, and they needed some support, and Sam Cronin can give you that. So I'm feeling good about what Minnesota's done lately. Um, they still have a long way to go, but things are looking up as far as Minnesota goes. Next, Houston Dynamo, New York Red Bulls. Eric Kubo Torres, can anybody stop Kubo? Can anybody stop the robot dance? I say 
don't stop it because I love it. I think the robot dance is hilarious. And it's just a great story, right? Kubator is obviously a, a bit of a nightmarish couple of years. Couldn't find the goal. Went through some, you know, some disappointing loan spells in Mexico. Gets reunited with Wilma Cabrera. And I have to say, I'll confess, when they hired Wilma Cabrera, I know in the early, when I did the preview, I'm pretty sure when I did my preview show, I, I had my doubts about the Wilma Cabrera hire. But the fact that he has been able to get Cuba Torres back to his best is huge. And 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 credit to Houston. I'm sure that was part of the reason they hired Cabrera. And if that's one part of the reason, then look, it, it definitely it paid off. It's it's been it's proven warranted. It's proven that, you know, he he is he's the guy. And he's not and it's not just about Cuba Torres, it's the signings that they've made, him piecing it together. Cause it's not easy, folks. It's not easy. To bring in so many new players, get them all on the same page, and get them all flowing and clicking from the first game on. And that's what we've seen from Houston. And I know, look, we've seen it from Atlanta as well. Atlanta's looking really good early on. But look, Tata Martino is a, is a, known, he's a known quantity as a coach. He is an excellent coach. So him doing it, you're like, okay, we could see that. But Wilma Cabrera came in with a lot to prove, and he's gotten off to a great start. As far as the Red Bulls go, they laid an egg. They, this was awful. This was atrocious. Um, it's not time to panic if you're the Red Bulls. If you're a Red Bulls fan, let's not forget last year, the Red Bulls started the season with, what is it, one win in seven? So they climbed out of that to still finish first in the East. So they're nowhere near that bad a start this time around. But this is a, it is a bit of a worrisome game for them. Uh, because they just, they were they felt they were flat. They were absolutely flat. Uh, and and now they have to you know they go on the road again as back to back road games they go to Orlando we'll get into that later but if you're Jesse Marsh at, a, at you know you have to start looking at things and and are we going to see a second year in a row where Jesse Marsh wanted to Im- implement the two forward system but it has to go back to the four two three one I think we absolutely could see that I think that I think that's an entirely possible scenario where once again the Red Bull scrap the four four two and go back to the four two three one I think it's I think it definitely happened. Uh, last couple of matches real quick. Vancouver, L.A. Vancouver with the 4-2 win. L.A. was winning this one 2-1 at halftime. And then Vancouver, Freddie Montero, Christian Teixeira, Matias Laba, they just ran wild in the second half. And I tell you what, this is not a game that Clement Diop, the L.A. Galaxy goalkeeper, is going to want to rewatch like too many times. Because you're going to get nightmares, Mr. Diop, because this was an awful performance by you. He made some saves, but he just, you know what? He showed his his immaturity as a, as a goalkeeper, his naivete, his inexperience. He has qualities that make you like him as a prospect, but you know what? He got a little full of himself here, and he paid the price. He got he got a little, you know, a little happy, a little, you know, little happy feet and flying all over the field. It just wasn't a good look, and and you know what? Brian Rowe, I think, will be in the net sooner than later based on that performance, but. You know what? The LA Galaxy, on the bright side, guys are coming back healthy. Gio De Santos is back. Jesse's Artist is back. Ashley Cole's back. They're not at full strength, 100%. And I'll get into that as we preview the Week 6 games. But at least there's that silver lining in what was otherwise a pretty pretty crappy day for the Galaxy. Last game of Week 5, Portland Timbers, New England Revolution. I think most people had Portland you know, rolling over New England. But no, credit to the Revs. Their defense held up pretty well. And it finished 1-1 on a Lee win equalizer late in the game. And Jake Gleason uh, capped off what was a nightmare week for MLS goalkeepers. 
I mean, between Nick Romando, Clement Diop, and now this Jake Gleason uh, failed catch. I mean, you don't, you do not let a rebound in like Jake Gleason let left on a platter for Lee Wynn, and that's what he did. Instead of grabbing the ball, he he, he didn't get a hold of it, and, it, and Lee Wynn Lee Wynn pounced and equalized. And if you're New England, you had to love getting that point because that's a long road trip back. That's a long flight from Portland to 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 Boston. And having that point in the pocket definitely helped for them. And I think, you know what, maybe it's a little bit of a confidence boost. Maybe it's what will help turn things around for New England because uh, they definitely saw some positive things, whether it was rookie Joshua Smith, uh, whether it was the other center back, Delamea. Delamea was outstanding, and, and I put him on, on my – uh, SBI MLS best 11 for the week. Uh, I started, I have brought that back now. Uh, I hadn't done it in a while. And it's funny because I remember when I, I'm pretty sure I did it before anyone else did it that I can remember. And then it became a thing. And then uh, MLS started to do it. And, you know, I have my, uh, let's just say that the re I brought it back because the ones that I'm seeing are just kind of not great. So I feel like there's a void there. I'm not saying mine is the best, but but it is. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, Delamere was on it. Delamere was great against Portland because when you hold Portland to one goal in Portland, you're doing something. And credit to Jay Heaps in New England. We'll see if they can build on that. They have another tough test next week, this week, this weekend. They play Houston at home, the Dynamo. Who made the schedule? If you're New England, you're like, whoa, we got to go to Portland and play that attack, and now we're home and playing Houston? Wow, what's going on? Um, but still, you know what? I think it's going to be a good game. Well, now we've rattled through week five, and I'm sure I'll, I'll I'll revisit. I'll start to the thing is, folks, right? So I want to do two shows a week, and it hasn't quite worked out that way. But I'm definitely getting the one show of the week down. Um, and you know, obviously, it's kind of I know it's a little stale to to touch on the week five matches uh, when it's like almost a whole week later. But you know what? We'll work on that. I'll definitely try to bring back the the, the early week show. Um, I'm still working on it. We're still working out the kinks, but at least we're getting one show a week. We're trying to get at least one guest on. We're trying to get the flow back, and hopefully, we get things rolling back to the back to back to a normal flow for the for the summer, um, if not sooner, maybe even by this month. By the end of this month, we'll get things back to normal. Uh, but we're definitely gonna have to get into MLS Week Six now, the upcoming weekend's games. I'll try to keep it short and sweet. Uh, I'm trying to keep this show under an hour, and I think we're already well behind the pace, but we'll keep it going. We'll keep it going. First up, LA Galaxy, Montreal. As I said earlier, Montreal, uh, LA Galaxy, they're not 100% because Sebastian Legette is out for months. Robbie Rogers, no one knows what's going to happen with him. Is he, you know, is he, is he ever coming back? Is he, you know, obviously, he has ankle issues. He might not come back. So let's just put aside those guys. This LA has as, pretty much as strong a team as they're going to have for a while is what they should have at their disposal against Montreal. Ashley Cole, Gio DeSantos, Jesse Zardes, Jermaine Jones, uh, Alice Drini, Jao Pedro, all hands on deck as they take on a Montreal team that probably doesn't have Piatti, actually won't have Piatti, and probably won't have Laurent Simon. And I know Montreal went to Chicago and got a result in Chicago, minus those guys, but it, it should be, it should be much tougher task in L.A., going all the way across country against an L.A. team that has Gio DeSantos back, Jossie Zardes back. You, you, you know, Zardes returned last week. He didn't start. You'd like to think he should be able to start this week. Gio DeSantos, in case you missed it, played against Vancouver. And I know this might come as a surprise to people who watch that game because I'll tell you what, I had, I really didn't notice that he was even on the field against Vancouver. This game against Montreal is a big one for him. 
because he needs to, you know what? This, I, I said it in the preseason. The only the only way this LA team is an elite team is if Gio DeSantos is playing out of his mind on a regular basis. If he's playing at his best on a regular basis. And that that was one of my big issues with him prior to last year's is this is inconsistency. He runs hot and cold. He'll have a good couple of weeks where he'll just tear it up. And then he'll just disappear. And and I, th- I feel like he, that's what happened against Vancouver. He disappeared. He was invisible. Invisible. That's not a word. Uh, in in Vancouver. So he can't be invisible if this L.A. team's going to do anything this year. And this Montreal game, perfect example. They're at home. He's healthy by all accounts. As far as I know, they need Gio DeSantos to tear it up. And and if if they don't, they're going to struggle. And a, another question, and one that I've, I've I'm pretty sure I've, I've raised it in my writing for Goal.com, and I don't remember. I actually I may have not touched it on it the last show. Jermaine Jones and Jao Pedro, can these two work together? And I don't know. And and it might not even. And honestly, maybe it isn't even a thing about them working together because I just don't know if Jao Pedro is good enough. It's early. It's early. But there there was a lot invested in Jao Pedro. And I don't know if he's paying off right now. I don't know if he's looking the part. He doesn't look like he's not playing like a player worth a million dollar transfer. I can tell you that much. Not even close. So he needs to step it up. Jermaine Jones, obviously, he needs to, you know, he needs to play better. He needs to impose himself on this team. He's a Champions League player. 30 games in the Champions League. He wants to tell everybody. We'll get into that, by the way, later. I am definitely touching on the Jermaine Jones comments regarding the national team. We're saving that for later in the show. Don't think I forgot. You know I didn't forget that. We'll get into that in a little bit. But Jermaine Jones needs to play better for the Galaxy, as well as Gio DeSantos. If they're going to get going, Montreal, perfect example, uh, a perfect opportunity, uh, a tailor-made opponent, missing key starters. You're at home. They're traveling cross-country. If if you're the Galaxy and you don't win this game comfortably, then those questions about this team are going to just continue to to, to just gain traction. Because there's right now, there's a lot of questions about this team. A lot of questions about because you know what the injuries have 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 offered a convenient sh- uh, a convenient shield, a convenient excuse. But now they're pretty much you know mostly healthy. They're missing obviously Robbie Rogers and Sebastian Jet. They are pretty stacked with what the players that, with the players that they have. They should be able to win and they should be able to play good soccer. And if they don't, more questions are going to come around. Next up, Chicago Columbus. The Fire are at home again. Bastian Schweinsteiger. Take two, his second game, going up against the crew, red hot crew, three games in a row they've won. Uh, and this is gonna be a this is gonna be a fun game to watch. This is really, I think, gonna be a good game. The the crew have played really well the last few weeks, but I, I think the Chicago team's gonna offer them a uh an interesting challenge. And look, the crew beat beat Portland in Columbus, so it's not like they have they've beat all pushovers in their run, their three win, three game winning streak. But going to Chicago you know, it's going to be a little bit of a different challenge for them. And I really like what I've seen from Schweinsteiger in that. I like what I saw from him in that first game. And I think he's going to help bring the best out of guys like Nikolic and Akam and Brandon Vincent and McCarty. I, I think he's just going to be that, that just, you know what, that engine in the middle that makes everything go. And I actually like Chicago in this one. Um and, and and it's going to sound, it seems like a bit of an upset, right? But no, no, you know what, the, the crew, they've played well, but... Obviously, Chicago will be at home. They're going to feel like they should have won last week, and they're going to play well. And I think Schweinsteiger has another good game, and I think I'm going to give the fire in this one. Uh, I didn't give a score in the Galaxy one. I'm going to go three. I'm going to go three-one Galaxy. Gio DeSantos gets it going. 
And as far as fire goes, I'm going to go 2 1 fire Akam and Nikolic with goals and Schweinsteiger with another good game. Uh, next up, New England versus Houston. Now, the Revs have something to build on. They were in Portland. They got a point. They got a draw. Um, plenty of positives there for them. But they, they face the juggernaut in Houston. This this Dynamo team, the, this Dynamo team is something. This Dynamo team with Eric Torres and Al, Albert Elise and Alex. How about Alex? We talked about him before. Everyone's talking about Eric Huba Torres, you know, comeback player and all that. How about Alex? He's been out of outrageous. He's been he, you know what? Cuba Torres actually had been excellent before in MLS. Alex put in six years of nothing, put in six years of being pretty much a non-factor, and and he's but he's stuck around. He's stuck around, and you're wondering why is this guy still in the league? He's not producing, and now here he is. He's tearing it, lighting it up. He's you know leading the league in assists. Um. But that's going to be a good challenge. I think uh, New England is going to offer a good test to that Houston defense. And and there obviously are questions about that Houston defense, how good it is. Um, I You know what? I I have a hard time picking teams that go to New England just because it's a, it's a weird place to play, a tough place to play. I'm going to go New England in this one. I'm going to go 2-1 New England. I think they're going to win this one. I, I had picked Houston. I had picked Houston last night uh, in my predictions for goal. But I, you know what? I think New England at home, I think all the, they're going to get – they gained some confidence out of that tie in Portland. So, yeah, I'll go New England in this one. Next up, DC United, New York City FC. These teams just played less than a month ago at NYCFC uh, Pummel DC 4-0. Obviously, you go to RFK, you want, you want to think that it's going to – obviously get a little bit of better situation for dc you're not on the tiny field of yankee stadium but i'll tell you what it isn't necessarily a good thing to give nycfc more room to operate i think that i think that's a little bit of a misleading uh misleading situation because when you look at what NY, if you look at what nycfc has right rodney wallace, rodney wallace jack harrison maxi morales are all quick all fast you give them more room that's more room that DC's defenders have to cover. More room they have to chase those guys around. I don't know if that's necessarily better. So, I mean, I think DC will be more comfortable at home. I think their their attack will be better at home. But I still don't think they're going to beat NYCFC. I think NYCFC, if anything, after having been on the small field for a couple of games now, and we saw this last year, DC United, I mean, uh, NYCFC on the road, they were pretty good. They are one of the best teams in the league on the road. And I think part of that was down to once you know, once they got out in onto big fields, it was actually not worse for them. It was actually almost better for them. So I think from that standpoint, I think NYCFC is going to go down to DC and and handle DC. Uh, unless, unless of course Bill Hamid puts the cape on again. If he does that, all bets are off. You never know. But I'm going to go NYCFC. I'm going to go them with a com- with a comfortable two to one victory uh, in that one. I won't give NYCFC a shutout just because they're always good for a couple of hiccups and some chi- and some chances but I'll still go NYC for the win. Next up, Philadelphia versus Portland. Uh, I would normally make the trip down for that one. I will not be making the trip down for that one. Um, But I wish I was. I wish I were. I think this is going to be a good game. I think this is going to be, again, Philly. I know Philly fans are definitely worried. Philly fans are not happy about the state state of the union. But uh, you know what? Uh, They're not as bad as their record shows. And I know... Bill Parcells once said, "You are what you are, what your record says you are." But I don't know. I think they're going to give Portland a good test. Um, I still think Portland wins, though. I think Portland's a, just good, man. I just think Portland's a good team this year. They're going to be one of the best. 
they are one of the best teams in the league this year. And I think, if anything, the New England draw is going to serve as a bit of a wake-up call going into this one. I think, actually, if Portland had beat New England last week, I would like them. Very, I would like Philly a lot more for the M, the typical MLS upset, right, where you have the team going on the road off of some off of a string of wins, and they just get bumped off by a team that you think they should beat. However, Caleb Porter, I'm sure, got laid into his guys after that draw, laid into his team after giving up those points at home to New England. So they're going to be ready, and I think Portland's going to win this one. I'm going to go Portland. I'm going to give them a three to one, three to one Portland. Uh, I think they're going to be able to run wild on, on Philly's defense, especially, I mean, I don't know, I, I'm not looking in front of me about the status of Richie Marquez, but without Richie Marquez, if he is out, and I think he is out, if he's out, that's going to make things even tougher for Philly. Next, the game of the week. The game, if there's one game you're going to watch, uh, it should be Toronto FC versus Atlanta. And I know I, I know last week I said if there's games you should watch, it, it, it would be Seattle-Atlanta, it'd be Toronto-KC, and neither of those games produced a goal, right? So you know what's going to happen? Toronto FC and Atlanta, they're going to play, and there's going to be no goals, right? That's just has to be what happens. I highly doubt that. I highly doubt that. I think Toronto FC is going to be able to do some things against this Atlanta defense. And I know Atlanta is coming off an impressive draw, an impressive shutout in Seattle. They deserve some credit for that. Because all up until that point, all we thought of with Atlanta is, oh, there's the, they're this high-flying attacking team. They don't really defend. Can they really stop anybody? Are they going to just have to outscore people, like try to try to you know run up the score because they're going to give up goals? But then they pitch the shutout against, say, Seattle. Um, I give him credit. I give him credit for the 0-0 in Seattle. But Toronto, man. Toronto with Josie Altidore back. He should be back in the lineup after being out of the lineup last week. Um, I think the Altidore-Javinko combo is just going to be too much for Atlanta. It's just going to be too much for Atlanta because um, it just is. It just is. And I think Altidore is going to have some success. And I think TFC, I think Michael Bradley and Mami, the one of the matchups, probably the matchup to watch of the entire weekend individually, the individual matchup. And if you don't read my goal.com preview, what's wrong with you? I do it every week. The talking points I, where I preview the week ahead in MLS and I lay out the top individual matchups to watch. And the best individual matchup for my money, Michael Bradley versus Miguel Almiron. I mean, come on. Almiron has looked amazing this year, right? When he's played. He didn't play. La- he didn't start last week, obviously, coming off international duty. But Almiron against Bradley is going to be fun. Worth the price of admission. Watch that. Uh, I think Toronto. I think Toronto gets the better of Atlanta in this one. I'm going to go two to one Toronto to win at home in a which is what should be a very fun fun match. FC Dallas Minnesota. Yes, Minnesota. They're riding high. They got that first win, two in a row without a loss. Things are looking up. Defense should be better. They've made the trade. Guess what? No, you're not going to Dallas and beating Dallas. It's just not happening. I know Dallas is probably going to have a little bit of a hangover uh, after that loss. Uh, the Champions League loss. They're gonna, they're they're, they're gonna be. There's gonna. It takes the. It takes some time, right? Because obviously that's an emotional letdown. If you're FC Dallas, you know you really had high hopes of getting to the Champions League final. And I'm sure they're looking at that game and saying, "We could have beat Pachuca. We were right there. We had it. We had it in the bag." And then Herving Lozano just went nuts. Um, they're gonna put a beating on Minnesota. I'm afraid to say it, but they are. I mean, it's not gonna be like five or six, but I think they put. I think they're gonna put three on them. I don't think Minnesota's gonna score. 
I think it's going to be a pretty one-sided 3-0 victory for FC Dallas. No offense to Minnesota, but it's just tough to go to Dallas and play that. that they're the best team in the league for my money. And, you know, you're not playing RSL and their fourth string center back tandem. It's not how you're playing. FC, you're playing Walker, most likely Walker Zimmerman and Matt Hedges, uh, which is arguably the best center back tandem in MLS. So FC Dallas, they'll cruise in that one. And Real Salt Lake, Vancouver, the Mike Petke era begins in Utah. And how much of a difference is Mike Petke going to make for a team that just played one of the worst games in recent memory? for that club, right? RSL's loss in Minnesota was embarrassing. It was just and and obviously injuries play a part when you're down to like your fifth fifth choice center backs or fourth choice whatever it was. I mean, they're an injury away from Pecky playing center back. I mean, that's how bad things are right now. I, I mean, I know guys are, are working their way back to health whether it's Aaron Mond, Justin Clad, Chris Schuler. Um I know David Horst had surgery, so he's out. He's going to be out now. But even with the guys coming back, even with Mike Pecky stepping in in his first game as coach, I just don't see them beating Vancouver. I mean, they're at home, so you know they obviously have a good, they have a chance, they have a chance, they can absolutely beat Vancouver. They can't. I just don't see it. I just think the Whitecaps, with the attack, the attacking weapons that they have, they're going to go to Real Salt Lake and they're going to win there. Even though I know Altitude can play a part, and that can be the, be a great equalizer, but I'm going to go Whitecaps. I think Whitecaps are going to be one of the teams this week that gets a road victory. Freddie Montero, I know he didn't do so great against Tigres, but I think Freddie Montero has himself a game. Whitecaps with the road win. And two more games to go, three more games to go. San Jose, Seattle. Um, San Jose, 2-0 at home. They're coming off a two-game losing streak on the road, but they, they're back at Avaya Stadium to take on a Seattle team that, you know what, Dempsey's back. Dempsey should be 100% ready to go. I know that he didn't, he, he didn't start last week. Uh, as he recovered from his grueling two-game shift uh, with the U.S. national team, but he should be back in the fold against San Jose. And I think this is going to be a good battle in the midfield, uh, especially in Dom Kinnear uh, having to go up against Seattle in, in the 4-2-3-1 that they like to play. Uh, they're going to have the numbers in midfield. If you're San Jose, you're going to have to have Wondolowski slip, uh, drop in and offer support to your midfield. I just think Seattle is going to have too much for San Jose. I think this is going to be a, a decent match, but I'm just, I just like San Jose. I, mean, I just like Seattle in this one to get the road win. I, I feel like I picked way too. I don't like picking road teams to win games normally, but it looks like a, this is like my fifth road win that I'm, or my sixth road, fifth road win I'm picking so far and I'm hating myself for it. I'm sure I'm going to pay the price when it's all said and done, but I'm going to go Seattle to win in at a stadium. Clint Dempsey, Jordan Morris do their thing. I'm going to go 2-0. 2-0 Seattle on that one. Two games to go. Orlando City, New York Red Bulls. Orlando suffered their first loss uh, in Columbus, but they're, they're back in, in Orlando now. And uh, this is an interesting one because which Red Bulls team is showing up? Is it the Red Bulls team that that was sleepwalking in Houston and got embarrassed? Or is it going to be that New York team that showed signs of life and showed some real heart in Atlanta uh, in the second half of that season opening victory, which team will show up? Um, Orlando, I still have my questions about, right? Because I, th- I just think they never really fill the void left by Molino. And then you lose Kaká in the first game. And and that that vo- attacking void was going to catch up to them. I know they got those two wins. Kyle Aaron helped them get those two wins to start the season. But at a certain point, you're going to struggle. And I think they're going to struggle again. Um, but I don't know which Red Bulls team is going to show. Is it going to be that Red Bulls team that can just keep the ball and play it and knock it around, create chances and play attractive soccer? Or is it going to be the team that we saw against Houston? 
That's that's the big question. Uh, I you know what I'm, I like the Red Bulls. I think the Red Bulls. Uh, you know what they straighten some things out. This is going to be a tough tough one. I think this is going to be a tough one. I think this could be a. Uh, this is I'm going to go like a one one in on this one. I think this is going to end up a draw. It's going to be a tough one and it's going to be a gritty gritty game. Gritty game. I'm going to go one one in that one. Last but not least, Sporting Kansas City, Colorado Rapids. The Rapids traded Sam Cronin. I'm still trying to figure that one out. I know they have other options in defensive midfield. I know they did it to, 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 to create some salary cap space because they want to go add some attacking quality. I get it. I just, I don't know. I I, I feel like Cronin was an underrated part of that team. And uh, I think they're going to miss him. Uh, and I think that's going to hurt them. They go to Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City, I think they're due. I think Kansas City is due to really open things up. And Colorado's tough defensively. But I think Kansas City wins this one. I think I'm going to go Kansas City 2-0. I think Dom Dwyer is due for a game, and I think you know Colorado. No Axel Schoberg, he's out. He's still out. Colorado. I think they're going to struggle on the road. I'm going to go Sporting Kansas City two zero. Dom Dwyer with the double, and there you go. And that is MLS week. MLS week six. The preview. Uh, uh that's like a hundred games we just we just previewed. But there you have it. Uh, hopefully, hopefully a more entertaining Friday than we had last last Friday. Uh, L.A. Montreal is the Friday night game. Uh, hopefully there's a few more goals in last week's Friday night game. Moving on to U.S. soccer and American soccer non-MLS edition. Uh, we're going to get into CONCACAF is apparently going to have a joint bid for the 2026 World Cup. Uh, the CONCACAF president, uh, the Canadian Montagliani, who just loves to talk and loves to say things and is quoted every other day. I, I feel like Monta- Montagliani has has made more pro- proclamations in the last... I don't know, six months that I heard anyone in CONCACAF make in like 15 years. It's pretty impressive. I got to say he's, he's, he's getting a lot done or he's saying a lot anyway. Um, but anyway, Montagliani, he came out and said that the U S Mexico and Canada are going to be working together on a joint bid for the 2026 world cup. I haven't heard anything from us soccer on that one. So I'm going to reserve judgment. Um, personally, I don't, why, why you don't need it. And, and I get it right. If, if that's what needs to happen, for CONCACAF to get the bid or for the U.S. to be part of a winning bid, then I guess. But do they really? Does the U.S. really need Mexico and Canada? No, they don't need Mexico and Canada. So what, what's the deal? What's Why even get it involved with it? Let, let Canada qualify for a World Cup. How about that? Let Canada, on its own merits, like actually play themselves into a World Cup. And I know hosting is not the same as playing and qualifying. And um, why shouldn't Canada get the host? I guess. I guess I don't know. I just think the U.S. can do do fine by itself, and I and I'm I'm not gonna lie, folks. I'm kind of dreading the idea of having to kind of border hop uh, three different countries. Uh, that could be a bit of a nightmare, especially going back and forth. I mean, I have covered a World Cup where there was multiple countries. I covered the 2002 World Cup. I spent a month and a half in in South Korea, and then I spent a week and a half in Japan. Actually, that was a lot of fun. Um, but you know, I don't know. I don't know about the Canada Mexico. USA triumvirate. It sounds like it's happening, even though U.S. soccer's been pretty quiet about it. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know what? As long as as long as long there are World Cup games in the U.S. in 2026, I'll be happy. So it, maybe they won't get all of them, but as long as there are games happening here in the U.S., I'll be happy. So there you go. We'll see what happens from there. Uh, next up, uh, we're getting into Americans Abroad. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the weekend, the upcoming weekend. Matchups are definitely some juicy ones. Um, before we get into previewing some of the Americans abroad, we have one of the Americans abroad with us today. We have none other than Club Tijuana midfielder 
and U.S. national team pool midfielder Joe Corona having an outstanding season for Club Tijuana. He's made his way back to the Cholos, his longtime team. He was he, he was gone for a couple of years on loan, uh, and it looked like maybe he wouldn't be back in the picture with them. But yes, he's he's fought his way back. He's played his way back, and now he's once again become a regular starter for Club Tijuana, and they're having a solid season, and they're playing a pretty big match on Friday night against Club America. Uh, in one of the bigger matchups in Liga Mekis this weekend. And uh, we're lucky enough to have him, and he, he's been gracious enough to give us some time. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Corona. Joe, how are you doing today? Good, good. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm just <laughs> com- thanks for coming on. Uh, you know, it's been great to see how, how well you're doing this year. I was able to actually get down uh, to TJ, to Tijuana, and see a, a game. Try to remember who you guys Oh, I think you played Cruz Azul, actually. Uh, I snuck down there. It was... Uh, it was in January, actually. I got to see you play, and uh, you're doing really well right now with with Tijuana. What what's been kind of the key t- to you getting back to where you know you were a starter for a long time there, and then you kind of mm-hmm. fell out of the fell out of the picture, and now you're back and you're playing really well. What's been the key to you getting back to back to that, back to your best? I think uh, it's been uh, uh, has a lot to do with uh, me uh, having a good past season with Dorados. Also, uh, I mean, just being back home. Feeling uh, identified with with Cholos with the team, I think. Uh, I mean, I feel like at home. That's uh, that's that's important. Playing time has been uh, crucial. I think uh, that's uh, the most important thing. Uh, being able to play week by week, and and I mean, getting the coaches' uh, confidence also helps me a lot. So, I mean, I think it's been a pretty good season so far, and uh, I'm planning on keeping it that way. Uh, coach, your coach Miguel Herrera, obviously the U.S. American soccer fans know him from what well, his time as uh, Mexico's <laughs> Mexico's coach, and obviously he's had a ton of success down there. What's he like to play for? What's he like in uh, you know as a manager? No, oh, he's a, he's a great coach. Uh, I mean, um, just uh, it hasn't been a while since uh, I I met him. I mean, I, I've only before I just played against him, but uh, having him having him as a coach is is. He's good. I mean, he's he's good. He's pretty. You could say he's a very straightforward coach. I mean, he's clear with what he wants you to do, and 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 uh, he works very well during the week. To that way, we can all understand what he wants us to do in the field. You know. And and you guys obviously have had success under him. As far as coming back to to, to Cholos, and and I mean, it's funny because. It looked like for a couple of years you weren't in their plans and you'd fallen out of favor there. But now, not only did you come back, but now you've come back into a starting role there. It's how much is that? How much of that has been, her, uh, Coach Herrera? I mean, is how much is it just a good fit there stylistically? Does he kind of appreciate your game? What kind of led to that? You getting back to where you were? No, I think uh, just being back home that helped a lot. Um, also. Yeah, like I said, uh, um, I think uh, Miguel Herrera, he, he, he's giving me the opportunity. I'm very thankful for that. And uh, I remember when I first came and, and my first day coming back to Cholos, uh, he pulled me over and he, he talked to me. He told me that I was going to be fighting for a spot, that it was going to be a uh, a good second chance for me to prove prove myself and, and everyone everyone were what I'm capable of doing. And, I mean... Uh, it was just uh, motivating, you know, to be back to to prove a lot of people wrong, and I, I think uh, um, mainly myself, you know, that that I mean, I'm a, I feel I'm a first division player, and and I mean, I worked hard. I I think I had a good preseason, and and just uh, having minutes from from that second division team 
back in Dorados and, and having good rhythm, I think that helped me a lot, you know, because I didn't, I didn't really get many time off. I didn't really have any vacation. So coming into preseason with Cholo's uh, fit, that was that was a, a key key reason why I'm playing right now. And, and I mean, I feel with a lot of confidence. I feel good. I mean, I just see it as a as a good uh, opportunity for me to to get my my game back and and I've been feeling pretty good in, during these past games. You have a big match coming up Friday night against Club America. What what uh, what are you expecting from that one? I mean, that one. Will, I'm sure folks in Tijuana have been waiting that. What they circle that one on the calendar. What kind of matchup do you expect in that in, in this big game? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we all we all know how big a team America is. I think uh, it's a it's a great opportunity for us to to get a win at home. Uh, it's such an you could say attractive game because uh, of of who we're playing. But I mean, we played them a, a couple weeks ago in the cup, and that was that was a great game. Uh, we had the win, so now we're trying to repeat that. You know, I think we we have to make ourselves uh, strong at home, and we're all looking for it. We're looking forward to having a good night and and getting the the three points, which is the most important thing. Yeah, you mentioned that Copa uh, Copa. Uh, MX game that you guys won, and uh, the guy who scored the winner in that game uh, was Paul Paul Ariola, and he's having himself a pretty good year as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you, you were away for a while uh, on loan, and now you've come back and seen seen him kind of how he's changed as a player. Uh, what what have you thought about the season he's having, and how is he how has he kind of changed and grown as a player? Yeah, you're definitely right. I think uh, Paul has has uh, matured so much on and off the field, and and I think. Uh, He's been showing it throughout season. I'm happy for him that he's been getting those call-ups with the national team because he deserves it. He's been doing great with uh, Tijuana. I mean, he's uh, every time getting more mature, getting better <clears throat> on the field, and, and he's been showing it. I mean, scoring goals against big teams and, and always uh, having some assists. I think uh, that shows uh, his work, that he's uh, been working throughout uh, the last uh, years. I know when he came, he... He was uh he was hungry and he still is and I think he's been uh showing the year by year that uh he's a first division player and, and I mean I'm just glad to see him grow so much during the past years. Now, now he's changed quite a bit as a player uh through the years and, and I feel like you've changed as well in terms of kind of rounding out your game. Um for people who maybe haven't seen you play the last couple of years. Uh, they might remember you as, a, as obviously a more attack-minded player, but I mean, when I've seen you now for Cholos, I feel like you've kind of rounded out your game. Like you're more e- like you have you have you've added that defensive side of things. I mean, would you say that you've changed in that way? That maybe you've kind of strengthened that part of your game? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I feel the same way. Um, I mean, before I, I I was used more as a winger. Um, now I I'm used. Uh, more tucked in the middle, playing more as a six, and I and yeah, I think uh, that's that's one of the things that I've uh, improved on a lot. I think my de- defensive side wasn't so strong before, and and now uh, I've learned to uh, manage it a little more. And plus, I have that attacking side by nature for me. So I mean, I, I think I try to take advantage of that as well as much as I can. But yeah, definitely, I, I feel. Uh, I mean, I can play anywhere in the middle, and I feel comfortable. Now, obviously, you know, playing for Chilos, uh, some of your teammates, Paul Ariel and Michael Roscoe, have been called up to the national team recently, and it's it's been a while for you, obviously, 
there's been a coaching change, as you know. Uh, Bruce Arena is the new coach now. Uh, where, how much are you thinking about getting back in there? And 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 I mean, do you do you get the sense that you're close? Like, how, how much does that still kind of motivate you to get back into the national team mix? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's the ultimate goal. I'm striving striving to to get back into the national team. I mean, I'm working hard for that. To be honest, uh, I'm just focusing right now on playing. Keep on, keep doing uh, good with Cholos. Keep having minutes, uh, being a key part, not only playing but uh, having assists, having goals, uh, which is uh, most important uh, to help my team out. And I mean, I'm happy Michael and Paul are getting Carlos, but I mean, it would be nice to to get all all of all the, the three of us in the national team. I mean, I'm just uh, being patient. To be honest, it's not something I'm like. Um, <clears throat> I'm very hungry for it. Yes, I am, but um, uh, it's not. I know that with work, it'll come by itself. So I'm just focusing here with Cholos and trying to do the right piece so that hopefully in the future, in the near future, I can get a call up. Now, Bruce Bruce Arena is uh, obviously he just coached at MLS, and he's actually. I, I mean, I know he he appreciates your game, and I mean, from my understanding, if he hadn't become the national team coach, I mean, there, there's a possibility. You could have played for him. That may, you know, potentially, if things had worked out, maybe you could have been uh, been with the Galaxy. How, how have you had conversations with him? Have you talked to Bruce Arena before? And I mean, do you get the sense that he 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 appreciates your game? I think he likes my style of play. Uh, well, I've heard it from from different people already that uh, he's uh, he's always been interested in having me as a as a player and, and coaching me and having me on his team with or well, when he was with Galaxy. I mean, I think. Uh, I if if I'm gonna get the call up with the national team, I mean I have to earn it. Him leaving the galaxy, that was uh, another thing because I think uh, when when the galaxy was was interested in me, it's because he was the coach. So I mean now that he's in the national team, I'm I'm looking forward to like I said, working hard to to earn myself a call up. Now speak, speaking of MLS, now you're I'm sure you're aware of all the expansion talk and everything going on, and there's been talk about San Diego as a potential. Uh, location for expansion, and what, what do you think about the idea of there being a, an MLS team in San Diego? I know I've talked to the guys at Cholos, uh, like the upper management, and and they 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 they're totally up for it. They 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 like the idea of the competition. Um, how, how do you think that would do? And what do you think about that idea? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's something San Diego needs. To be honest, just the idea of having a MLS team here in San Diego is it's amazing. I think. Uh, it will totally be uh, uh, something good for the city and a lot of people here because it's such a soccer-based. Uh, there's there are many uh, fans, soccer fans here in San Diego, and I mean, I think there there has been like proposals before of having an MLS here in San Diego, and and I think now it's it's getting serious, you know. So it looks like a, a great project, something that will be great not only for for San Diego also, but uh, Tijuana, which is uh, the border city, and and also for Cholos because they're gonna have competition and 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 I think the just the whole region soccer wise is gonna grow a lot. And and for people who aren't aware, uh, obviously San Diego is right there, right across the border from from Tijuana. And uh, like I told you, when I went in January to the game you played against Cruz Azul, I, I was there. I, I went right like I got stuck in traffic coming down from LA, and I got and I got. <laughs> It, right through that whole kind of border rush of people going from San Diego 
to TJ to go to that to go to the game, and, it, and it's kind of it's it's a crazy scene to, to to see all these people actually crossing the border just to go to that game, and uh, and I guess some people wonder, well, if there's an MLS team, will that hurt Cholos? You know, will people stop doing that border run to go to the games? I don't think that's going to happen, but I, I guess <laughs> I guess some people worry about that. Landon Donovan's actually part of that group now that's trying to get a team there. Uh, I think he's actually living in San Diego now. Have you run into to Landon since he's been down there? What do you think about? The idea of Landon, the Landon Donovan, the owner, if he could potentially be part owner of a team down there. No, I think it's just uh, it's it's a great plus for 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 this proposal of having a a, a city, uh, MLS team here in San Diego. I mean, I had Landon as a, as a player. Well, I played with him with with the national team, and I mean, he's a great leader. He, I mean, we all know what he represents in the, in the United States as, as a as an image for U.S. soccer and and also. MLS, and I think uh, just having him as owner or, or part owner of of the San Diego team, I think it, it'll much it'll, it'll make it a stronger vote, you know, to have a a team here in San Diego because I know they're fighting for a spot. So, I mean, I think it's just great. It would be amazing to to have someone like him be the head of of, of San Diego MLS team. The last one for me, uh, going back to the national team. Uh, I know you're focused on, on, on Cholos and the season that's happening right now, but I'm sure you're aware that this summer is going to be a busy summer for the national team. You have World Cup qualifying in June. You have the, you know, you have the, the USA-Mexico uh, game in Azteca, which happens every four years, in June. And then you have the Gold Cup in July. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of games. Uh, there's probably going to be two, diff- two different teams, so a lot of opportunities to get into the team. How, have you, are you aware of that, and how much have you kind of circled that on the calendar? Like that's your chance to get in this summer, get back into the national team. Yeah, I mean, I think that if uh, I keep playing, keep uh, staying uh, as a starter here with with Cholos, I think I have a, a big shot of getting a call up either in World Cup qualifying or, or being part of the of the Gold Cup if it's a alternate team. But I mean, I'm just. Uh, like I said, working hard to to get the call up if it if it's in the World Cup qualifying or or if it's in in the Gold Cup, whichever. I mean, I'll be happy to represent the United States, and I'm looking forward for that. Well, Joe, uh, definitely appreciate the time, and uh, definitely good luck against Club America on Friday night, and, and good luck the rest of the year. Uh, you guys are in playoff position right now, and uh, and hopefully you guys can can make that run and, and pick up that Liga Mekis title before you come back to the national team. That would be great to see. But, yeah, definitely thanks for coming on. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, that was Joe Corona. He uh, He's in Tijuana tonight, Friday night, as Club Tijuana, the Cholos take on Club America, and a Club America obviously not having uh, their usual dominating season. They're a little bit lower in the standings, um, but Club Tijuana actually ahead of them. And Club Tijuana is going to definitely want to solidify their position uh, as one of the top teams in in Mexico right now. So that that's going to be a fun one. If you if you're listening to this on Friday, uh, definitely try to find a way to watch that game because I think it's going to be a good one. And you you're going to want to see Joe Corona play because as you know, when people come on our show, it increases their chances of scoring a goal. And I already told them if he scores a goal against Club America, he has to you know he's going to have to show him show the SBI SBI show some love. Uh, on social media and, and spread the word. And I think I tell you what, if Joe Corner scores a goal against Club America, I think the I think the line for people wanting to get on the SBI show is going to get pretty long. Um, and then we can actually start having more than one show a week, which would be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking, 
you know, it's been a, it's been great to, to, to be able to interview, uh, to have some good guests and have some people come on and share their time with us. And, uh, I'm definitely on the hunt looking for the guests for the next couple of shows. So, uh, if you're listening to this and you have some suggestions for potential guests, let me know, you know, put, uh, put, throw them in the comment section and, uh, give me some ideas. Give me some people that you would like to see on the show. Um, and, and we'll work on that. We'll work on that. Uh, as far as Americans abroad go, uh, the big game this weekend, as you probably already know, everyone's favorite 18 year old American soccer player, Christian Pulisic and Borussia Dortmund take on Bayern Munich on Saturday, the big, big matchup in Germany. Now, obviously Dortmund isn't, isn't chasing Bayern for the title like we've seen in the past, but this still, this is still always kind of musty TV because Dortmund's obviously a fun team to watch. Bayern is so dominant. Uh, and then you have Pulisic, the Pulisic factor, if in fact he starts or if in fact he plays. Uh, it is an interesting one because Dortmund has, you know, you have Champions League coming up. You have the, the quarterfinals uh, coming up next week. So Thomas Tuchel is definitely going to have to do some balancing in, in terms of his squad. And you, you'd like to think that Dor- uh, Pulisic is going to play either in against Bayern or in the Champions League, if not both. So uh, hopefully... You know, hopefully he gets to play them both, and then you get to see as much of them as possible. Uh, this is going to be a good one. And and just a little side note for Dortmund, uh, as far as in, in as far as Dortmund is concerned, uh, there uh, there were reports this week uh, citing a Dortmund official, market. I think it was the head of marketing for Dortmund, who came out and said that they're exploring uh, ways to kind of capitalize on Christian Pulisic's popularity, uh, and that could include a tour of the u.s and that'd be great i mean is anyone against seeing dortmund come to the u.s and play uh i don't think anyone has a problem with that i mean that's a, they're a fun team to watch they're definitely more than just christian Pulisic. obviously if you have a bomayang you have dembele you have uh you know julian weigel so many attacking players on there uh marco royce who can forget the fifa 17 cover boy marco royce when he's healthy it's pretty good uh so yeah i mean hopefully that happens hopefully they they, they come to uh Come to the U.S. and and let the Pulisic craze uh, kind of pick up. I tell you what, that'll be interesting to see. Pulisic is is definitely stirring up a real fervor among American soccer fans, and I mean, I saw it even in uh, in in Columbus in November with the USA Mexico game. The number of Pulisic jerseys I was seeing even then was unbelievable. And that was in November. And since then, obviously, it should be even crazier because he's actually been lighting it up even more since then. He's actually taken it to a whole nother level. And now with the way he's played in recent World Cup qualifiers, that's just adding to the hype. So I'll tell you what, if Dortmund comes to the U.S. and they play some friendlies here, they're going to be able to sell out some games. They're going to be able to sell, they're going to sell some tickets, folks. So people can't get enough of Pulisic. They want to see him play. And who knows, maybe if they watch him, they watch Dortmund, they'll fall in love with Dortmund and buy Dortmund gear, become Dortmund fans. That's the whole plan, right? That's what all these teams are doing. All these teams that come here in the summer. Obviously, they're coming to make money. They're all coming for their bags of cash. But part of the strategy is to plant roots and plant seeds in the U.S. Because the American soccer fan base here is pretty huge. It's pretty huge. Um, Obviously, look, they're not all MLS fans. By any means, I mean it's really actually a smaller, you know. There's a section of fans who are into into MLS, into European soccer, but there's a ton of American soccer fans who love European soccer, and who you know what they if they if they fall in love with the team, they support them, and that becomes their new team. And people, uh, clubs all over Europe are trying to figure out ways to tap into this, whether it's Bayern Munich 
you know, establishing an office in New York City. I mean, all that kind of stuff. You have La Liga, you have you have the Bundesliga, all trying to work their way into the U.S. market. And why not Dortmund? They've got the the most popular American player right now. Why not? You know, it makes that makes way too much sense. So uh, it's good to hear. Other Americans abroad action we have uh, Omar Gonzalez and Pachuca taking on Jorge Villafaña, Ventura Alvarado, and Santos Laguna. That's on Sunday. You're gonna want to watch that. Uh, and no, it's not all about Liga Mekis. We got there. There's other. There's some other action as well. Uh, you know, uh, you have Bobby Wood taking on Hoffenheim. Bobby Wood and Hamburg taking on ha- Hoffenheim. And how about Hoffenheim? They just beat Bayern. And how about tw- their manager is 29 years old, Nagelsmann. The guy talk about a genius. I mean, 29, and he's a, and he's a successful manager in the Bundesliga. Take that, take that, people. That's I mean, that's impressive. How can you not be impressed by that? Uh, you also have obviously in England, you have Jeff Cameron, Stoke City taking on Liverpool. Uh, that's going to be a good test for him. And uh, you know, as, as far as the championship goes, DeAndre Yedlin, uh, we'll see if he is is can make his way back from his recent injury. Newcastle takes on Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, on Saturday, and Newcastle uh, continues to edge closer uh, to promotion to the Premier League, and they're pretty. They're no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to jinx them, but they're pretty much going to pr- get promoted, right? Newcastle is going to get promoted to the Premier League. They'll be in the Premier League next year, and DeAndre Yedlin will be in the Premier League next year, and that that's gonna that's gonna be fun to watch to see him back in, and hopefully getting a real opportunity to shine. Uh, obviously, when he was at Tottenham, it was always going to be a tough road for him to get playing time, but now he's shown really well at Newcastle. Uh, obviously, the injury was unfortunate, but once he gets back in, he's going to have his opportunity, and I really, I, I think he's going to do well in the Premier League next year. So, we'll see what happens there. Next up, U.S. Men's National Team, and there's a few things, to, a few quick notes. Uh, the Trinidad and Tobago World Cup qualifier, the U.S. against Trinidad and Tobago, uh, has been made official. The June qualifier will take place at Dick's Sporting Goods Park in Commerce. Uh, Commerce City, Cal- uh, Connecticut. Sorry, will take place in Colorado. In uh, it, it, there won't be any snow. There will be no snow. Classical part two, uh, but it should be a good one, and that's a big one for the U.S. They need to win that one. They need all three points. They need to beat Trinidad and Tobago at home. Uh, there's no question about it. And you gotta like their chances, even though Trinidad has shown some life now. Uh, you know, getting a big win and really pushing Mexico. They could have. They could have easily beaten Mexico. Or at least gotten a point against Mexico. So uh, Trinidad, not a pushover. But if you're the U.S., you have to like your chances to win uh, when you're at home. And uh, and then also you had a couple of friendlies being reported. Uh, our boy Doug McIntyre over at ESPN FC is reporting that the U.S. will play Venezuela and Ghana. Remember Ghana? Uh, they play Venezuela. They will. They're reportedly going to play Venezuela in June uh, before the Trinidad friendly. And in uh, at Rio Tinto, and again, it's all part of the whole uh, trying to get get acclimated to altitude. So they're going to train in Utah, they're going to play the friendly in Utah, and then they're going to head over to Colorado and play Trinidad and Tobago before going to Azteca to take on Mexico. And we'll see if that pays off. We'll see if the extra time at altitude is going to help help the U.S. Uh, try to get that first World Cup qualifying victory on Mexican soil. Now they've they obviously Jurgen Klinsmann helped the U.S. finally win a match in in at Azteca, and that was a friendly World Cup qualifier. A whole different animal. We'll see if they can do it, and this is obviously what they're planning to do. And then you have Ghana, the U.S. taking on Ghana in Hartford, in uh, is it East Hartford in East Hartford, Connecticut, uh, as part of their run up for the Gold Cup. That's going to be a little Gold Cup prep match for them. 
Uh, it's not. I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a full strength uh, U.S. team. Uh, I think Bruce Arena is going to have to have kind of a split squad situation. He's going to have the full strength team obviously deal with qualifiers in June, and and then he's going to have a kind of a second team play at the Gold Cup. I don't know if there's. I don't think there's going to be. Nor do I think there should be overlap between these teams because. I don't know if anyone should be, uh, you know, having to put two months in with the national team. I mean, you got guys who need whether they need vacation or the or whether they need to be playing for their MLS teams. Um, but that's a good opportunity. There's an opportunity for a guy like Joe Corona, who we just had on, uh, to get try to get on that Gold Cup team and uh, and show that he's, you know, he's back, that he deserves to be in the conversation. Uh, and the way he's playing, he absolutely deserves it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. And of course, folks, not not to not to leave it for the very end, but I got to talk about. Jermaine Jones. And I wrote about it. I wrote about it for Go.com. And for those of you who might have missed it, Jermaine Jones came out and he was on the Max and Herc podcast with uh, my boy Hercules Gomez and Max Bredos and uh, really pretty much spoke his mind. Uh, Max, Max and Herc really kind of put set him up, set him up on a platter for Jermaine Jones to kind of go in and, and, and basically lay out the fact that he feels that, you know what, he's still a starter for the U.S., no one's taking his spot. No one's taking his spot yet. He's still waiting, and he's pretty much challenging somebody to come take his spot. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. Look, he's a confident guy. He's a he's a he's got swagger. That's not news. There's no news flash there. But what was interesting was hearing him kind of issue a complaint about why he feels he gets more criticism than some other players. And he didn't name any names, but it wasn't hard to read between the lines. We know who you were talking about, Jermaine. We know you were talking about Michael Bradley. It was pretty obvious that, you know, you wanted to say it. We know you. We could hear it. It was on the tip of your tongue. But, you know what? Credit to Jermaine. He's a, you know, he's a, he's, he's diplomatic. He wasn't going to, gonna you know, kind of lay that gauntlet down to Michael Bradley. But I think anyone listening knew what he was talking about. And it's an interesting question, right? Has he, does he face more criticism, significantly more criticism than other players who should receive more criticism and and it's an interesting one because i tell you what folks i feel like and i hear it I, I i mean i feel like a lot of people are down on michael bradley and i if anything i feel like it's i feel like he gets more of a raw deal than jermaine jones gets and i i, I would say yes there there have been instances where jermaine jones has absolutely been uh taking a ton of heat but i mean a lot of times it's for for really bad performances he has stepped up in some really big stages He's a big game player, and I don't think there's any, any any denying that. He has stepped up in a lot of big games. Not every big game, but in a lot of big games. He has stepped up in the World Cup. He stepped up in Copa America. He has stepped up in big big matches, big qualifiers, the snow snow the no snow classico. Who, who can forget that? Who can forget the snow fro, right? So he's he's an impressive player in that regard that when the chips are uh, chips are on the line and it's a big game and you need to step up and give your best the guy has more often than not given his best have there been games when he didn't absolutely i mean you can definitely point to some the game down in honduras the qualifier the concacaf cup definitely not his best moment um not that he was alone there there were a lot of guys who didn't play there didn't play well against mexico in the concacaf cup um but the thing I think now is when you look at since the Copa America, and you can definitely make the argument Jermaine Jones was one of the best players, if not the best player for the U.S. in Copa America. I would say Clint Dempsey was the best player. And and then as far as defensively, I think John Brooks was ridiculous. I think John Brooks, I think Dempsey, Brooks, Cameron were the top three players for the U.S. in Copa America. And then Jermaine Jones is in the second tier, but he he did well. 
I don't think you can argue. I think he did well at Copa America. However, he got hurt shortly after that. And then he came back. And now since he's come back, he's put together a string now of games that have been less than impressive. He didn't look good in either of the qualifiers in November. He didn't really show much in the in, in, in January, in the friendly in January. And now, you know, in, in the Panama game, he kind of, you know, he obviously made the... He made the pass to Christian Pulisic that ended up leading to the U.S. goal. But it wasn't a great performance by him. <clears throat> and as I wrote for Goal.com, I think really, you know, Jermaine Jones made kind of alluded to the idea that, you know, he faces more criticism because he's German-American. Because he's not, you know, a guy that U.S. fans have, have grown up watching and they haven't seen them come up through the ranks. And they see him maybe as an outsider still, you know. And maybe he, there, there's some, maybe there's something to that on a certain level. But for me, I think it has a lot more to do with his age. And I think older players face uh, face a stigma. They face that kind of waiting for the shoe to drop situation from fans who, who are kind of waiting, you know. They they don't want to have a guy stick around past his prime, past his sell by date. They don't want a guy who's washed up playing in games. So when you have an older player, I just think it's natural for fans, for media, to kind of you know put greater scrutiny on older players. I mean, he's what is he thirty five? I mean, that's not you just don't have international international field playing starters in prominent roles at that age. It's just not a normal thing, right? So when he puts together a string of not-so-good performances, at a certain point, people are going to say, wait a minute, maybe this is it. Maybe he's peaked. Maybe this is it. Maybe he's gone past his sell-by date now. Maybe it's time to look at other options, look at younger options. That's what it's about, folks. That's what I – I mean, I think it's more – I think it has more to do with that than the fact that he's German-American. I really do because i tell you what. I feel like enough people have seen him play and seen him step up for the U.S. in big, big moments. In big – I mean, the World Cup, 2014 World Cup, he was the best player for the U.S. He was. Abs- I mean, uh, you know what? Tim Howard, yes. You can obviously point to Tim Howard. But in terms of field players, Jermaine Jones was excellent. And that's the biggest stage there is, Right. But guess what, folks? That's almost three years ago. You don't get to keep living on that. You don't keep living on the on the credit of three years ago or even further back. And I thought that was interesting. Jermaine Jones made the point that, hey, I've played in more Champions League games than anybody in the U.S. team. Who cares? That was when's the last time Jermaine Jones played a Champions League game? What's it been? Six, five, six, seven years? Five, six years? Come on, Jermaine. We don't like it's not about your resume. It's about what you can do right now. And I'm not saying he can't do anything right now, because he can. He can still. The reality is he is still the best option right now. He still is. With his engine, with his toughness, with his experience, with his ability to contribute to the attack and also make plays defensively, he is still the top option. And I think I, I you know, I, I feel like people are in a bit of a denial about that because they don't want it to be reality because they don't want a 35-year-old. They don't want the U.S. national team to have to rely on a 35-year-old, a 36-year-old later this year midfielder in the starting lineup. That's just That just kind of flies against the idea of this team improving. Why are we still counting on this old guy? And that's what it comes down to, and that's what he's fighting against. He's fighting against... You know, it's bad enough he has to fight against Father Time, and Father Time is tough to beat. But now he has to fight the stigma of being an older player. Well, I tell you what, folks, the U.S. plays in Azteca in June. 
Mexico playing Mexico in Azteca is a tough, tough test. It's it's one of the tougher matches you're gonna play as an American player. And right now, there is no one else ready for that. No one else. And you can say what you want. I have nothing against guys. Look, I love Kellen Acosta. You know what? Who who doesn't love the player he's turning into? Right? We had him on the show recently. He's out. He's he's in great form. He's blossoming as a player. But is he ready to go to Azteca? And 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 face that fire? No, like not like he is not ready to be to to start ahead of Jermaine Jones yet, yet. Will he be? You'd like to think so. Eventually he will be, but for right now, Jermaine Jones is still that top option. So on one hand, I agree with Jermaine Jones and the idea that yeah, he is still the guy. He is still the guy. I don't agree with him on why he. On the on the reasons he thinks he 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 takes unfair criticism or that he takes more criticism than others, I think there's pretty re- reasonable explanations for that. And you know, in, in another interesting kind of point that someone brought up to me also is is the idea that you know what Michael Bradley doesn't face that much criticism. Why is that? Uh, is it because if you go after Michael Bradley, chances are you're going to hear about it, you know, back channel wise, uh, you know, you know that there is something to be said for that, but. At the same time, as making the point about the age thing, Michael Bradley is, what is he, six years younger than Jermaine Jones? If Michael Bradley was 35 years old, as it stands right now at 29 years old, Michael Bradley gets as much flack as anybody. In terms from from what I hear, now are, are people writing articles about Michael Bradley, asking for him to be benched like we're seeing with Jermaine Jones in, in recent weeks? No, that's not happening. But I tell you what, Michael Bradley's played better than Jermaine Jones. Since Copa America, since Copa America, not at Copa America, at Copa America, you say Jermaine Jones was, was better than Michael Bradley, but since Copa America, for me in the November qualifiers, Michael Bradley was better than Jermaine Jones, and I don't think that's a question. I, I, and you know what? Neither one of them was amazing against Panama. Neither one of them was that great against Panama. But when you want to talk about from November to now, Jermaine Jones has not played that well, and that's why there are questions. Is it time to bench him? I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I don't I, like. I don't think it's. And that's and and part of my hesitation is because I look at that game in in Mexico, right? I look at that game against Azteca, it, 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 that game in Azteca, and I say, uh, you know, that I don't know if I'm ready to put a 21 year old. I don't know if I want to throw Christian Roldan in that fire, or uh, Kellen Acosta. And uh, you know what? Me, me, after that. I mean, that's what the Gold Cup, for me, that's what the Gold Cup's for this summer. This summer, the Gold Cup is the perfect opportunity to take some of these younger guys who are aspiring to replace Jermaine Jones and giving them that stage to to, to show what they can do. Because guess what? Right now, World Cup qualifying is still a tenuous situation. The U.S. is not home free yet. They got their four points in March, but they're not home free yet. So, obviously, if the U.S. were in Mexico's shoes right now, and they were sitting on like twelve points or something crazy like that. It'd be different. It'd be different. It'd be you know. Then you then you could say okay, you know, we can we can give our younger guys a chance because we have wiggle room, we have a cushion, we have some leeway. The U.S. still doesn't quite have that yet. They still need to beat Trinidad in June. They still need to try to get a point against Mexico. Once that happens, like let's just say for argument's sake. The U.S. wins both games in June, and they win their first qualifier in Mexico. I know that sounds crazy, and it's never happened, but let's say it happens. And they're on six points uh, from June, and then they're on ten points at that point. Then you're looking into the fall, and and there's a, a more, you know what? There, 
then Bruce Arena can kind of look at things and say, okay, maybe I can start looking and thinking about maybe taking a younger guy and putting him into a situation. But it's not that time yet, folks. It's not. It is not that time. Jermaine Jones is still – he might be old, but he's in he, – he's, 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 there's still – there's still – bite in that tooth there's still bite in that it, it, like he's still there's still something there and uh until uh, you know we can talk after these june qualifiers and see where things stand if if jermaine jones plays against trinidad in mexico and is and it, it doesn't do well if he goes to azteca and lays an egg in azteca you absolutely can start writing the eulogies for his national team career at that point because then you definitely can say okay look it's been you know since the Copa america the guy hasn't gotten it done Game after game after game after game. It's time to look elsewhere. But I feel like he still is the guy for now. So we'll see. We'll see what he does. Um, I don't think this. I don't think his comments are necessarily going to cause a problem with the national team. He did a good job of kind of dancing around it, and he had a fair gripe about some of the stuff that he said. I totally understand what you know why he feels a little bit slighted and a little bit targeted. I mean, I know if I was an MLS player. And I'm on the league website, the official league website, and I'm reading articles, uh, rip, you know, calling for me to get benched uh, on the website of my employer. I would have questions about that. I would feel a certain kind of way about that. And he did. And he made it. He kind of he, he, he made let it be known on Twitter that, you know what, he wasn't a big fan of that. And, and I don't blame him. I don't I do not blame him. But uh We'll see. We'll see if he can. And maybe that'll. Maybe that will light a fire under him, and maybe once again he will step up when the lights are brightest, and he does his thing at Azteca. Maybe he scores the winning goal at Azteca, rips the shirt off with "How You Like Me Now" written on it, or something crazy. Maybe he does it. Maybe he does it. I wouldn't rule it out, man. The guy stepped up in big stages before, so uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But I think that's it. I think we've covered everything there is to cover. This is definitely a long, long, long show. Uh, apologies for that, but you know what? I get rambling, and I can't help myself. I'll definitely have. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have a guest on. I'm gonna have a guest guest co-host on next week, at least at least for which uh, whether we do one episode or two episodes. I'm planning to bring my guy Ryan Tomich on. He's our managing editor. He he helps run SBI Soccer. He's our he's my number one guy over at SBI, and uh, you know he he definitely does a lot of the writing, uh, a lot of the main the main analysis pieces and. Uh, I've only had him on once before, but I think it's time to get him on and, and, and let people hear some of his views. I'm sure you've read his views on uh, on SBI Soccer, but uh, you know what? It'll be good to get him on. We'll get him on next week. I'm looking at a couple of players to, to line up as well for next week. And once again, if you have uh, people that you'd like to ha- hear on the show and that w- you would like to have guests on the show, let me know whether it's coaches, whether it's players. Uh, you know, in a, in the American soccer realm, let me know, and we'll try to get some get some of them on. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it. I think we covered everything else. Last but not least, U.S. Women's National Team have ratified a new CBA. There will be no strike. That's good news. Uh, maybe things are you know looking up now with the U.S. Women. Obviously, the whole she believes cup debacle um, had U.S. Women's fans kind of a little nervous. But hey, they came back. They just beat Russia four zero, and now and they've ratified the new cba so there will not be a strike good news on the women's national team front i know we don't talk a ton about the women's national team but you know what we're gonna try to do that more as well uh but that's it that's all for for now uh definitely 
let me know in the comment section what you think of the show. I know I rambled way too long. And if you listen to the entire show, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I apologize if I put you to sleep. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. And definitely thank you to Joe Corona, who, uh, who was great. And uh, hopefully, you know, we'll have him on again to discuss the, the, the hat trick he scored after coming on the show. Uh, and I'll, I'll be back. I'll be back next week, hopefully with an early show, early week show recapping the weekend and uh you know and then we can take it from there but uh definitely uh if you get a chance give us a review on itunes we haven't had one since the show's been back um i'd like to hear some hear some feedback tell me what you like tell me what you don't like tell me what you'd like to see uh the good guests you'd like to see what you're enjoying what you hate uh i'll definitely work on the sound quality as well i know that i know that's still uh something i'm still kind of perfecting fine-tuning but we're getting there we're getting there and i'm definitely committed to keeping the show around keeping the show rolling and getting it back to back to its best and beyond as we roll towards episode 300 uh that's all for now though i'm ivis kalarsa this is the sbi show